Welcome to In the Public Interest, a podcast from Wilmer Hale. I'm Brendan McGuire. And I'm John Walsh. Brendan and I are partners at Wilmer Hale, an international law firm that works at the intersection of government, technology, and business. Diversity is a topic that we're thinking about a lot here at Wilmer Hale. So we wanted to spend an episode exploring how companies and law firms can work together to foster opportunities and awareness around diversity, equity, and inclusion. For this discussion, we're excited to have our fellow partner at Wilmer Hale, Brittany Amati, who's joined by Malini Murthy, Vice President and Chief Deputy General Counsel, and Ajit Narang, Chief Counsel at Medtronic. Medtronic is a global leader in medical technology, services, and solutions based in the Minneapolis area. And by the way, they're a Wilmer Hale client. They're leading the way in advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the legal field, not only with in-house lawyers, but by adopting a collaborative approach to engage outside counsel in this type of conversation and these types of initiatives. Especially at this moment in time, we're eager to hear their perspectives. So without further ado, I'm gonna turn it over to Brittany. Thanks so much to Malini and Ajit for joining us in this episode of In the Public Interest and for agreeing to speak with us about this really important diversity, equity, and inclusion topic today. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's a subject that both of us feel passionately about. Malini, why don't we start off just by talking a little bit about your background. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with diversity efforts at Medtronic? Brittany, thank you again for having us. You know, diversity, it's part and parcel of who I am. I grew up largely in Canada. I'm of Indian background. I was actually born in India and lived in parts of Asia before immigrating to Canada. And then my first stint in the U.S. was at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where race was very much just about whether you were black or white. And it was where I first really had to come to terms with who I was, because before that, growing up in Montreal and then Toronto was all about assimilation. And I realized at Chapel Hill that if I wasn't proud of my background, of my race, of my ethnic diversity, no one else was going to do it for me. And so that really, for me, sowed the seeds of diversity, equity, inclusion right then and there. I think that notion that everyone is going to have a unique experience is just so important when you're approaching these issues in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. How have your personal experiences affected the way that you look at these DEI issues now that you're in industry Medtronic? You know what it is about, Brittany? I think it really is about that sense of belonging. And it's interesting, shortly before George Floyd's murder, just two weeks before, my family and I had an experience in our building that we'd moved into just a few months earlier. My sons had taken the stairwell, were at the landing, and one of the other residents of the building entered and accused them of loitering and went further and said he was going to call the police on them. And my husband and I were just arriving, you know, to meet them there. And we were like, hold up, those are our sons. And he then, rather than backing off, accused all four of us of loitering and threatened to call the police on us. 
And we insisted, you know, we live here. And then he asked us for ID. And anyone who is a minority knows that ID is a code for you don't belong here. I'm so hyperethical. I'm thinking, I have no Minnesota ID. I only have New York ID. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I show him my fob. He then realizes we live in the building. And he then proceeds to excuse his behavior by simply saying, you understand, I'm just doing this because of the safety of the building. Then he walks off. And for me, it took me back to being a third grader, you know, in a playground in Montreal where racial epithets were being thrown at me. And what it was is that sense of feeling like you didn't belong. And a reminder that no matter what, even if I have the great job, live in the fancy condo, have the nice clothes, for some people, I am still not going to belong because in this case, because the color of my skin, in another, it could be because of my gender, right? I think that's what it is. Look, I want to be clear. I, on so many levels, am incredibly privileged. I tell the story, though, because I'm not immune from it. And I think people can mistakenly assume, right, because of the way they interact with me or the circumstances in which that it doesn't happen to me. And I think the story demonstrates how broad it is and also the feelings that it incites. And I will say, you know, why I talk about my privilege, I think in the U.S., I'll be honest, I don't want to take away from the unique experience of Black Americans, because that is a historically significant and unique experience. So I'm always cautious, personally, about sharing this story, but it's an important one, but also to recognize just that unique experience of Black men and women. And I will tell you, I think in the U.S., in the broader society, I think there's probably nothing more difficult in some ways in terms of acceptance and belonging than for black men. And I think in corporate America, it's a very challenging experience for black women, more so than anybody. Malini, thank you so much for sharing that story. I think that it's definitely something that people of color throughout the United States experience every day in their lives. And I think that it's so important to share those types of stories because people don't realize that just walking in your life that you may encounter those types of situations and thinking about how you have to diffuse them, even though you aren't the one who started them and you had done nothing to to provoke that. Now, Ajit, if I could pivot to you for a minute. I know you have been at Medtronic for, I believe it's more than 17 years. Is that correct? That is correct, Brittany. 17 years at Medtronic. So what is your perspective on the importance of cultivating that equity and inclusion in the legal environment, particularly in a large company like Medtronic? Just to echo a lot of what we heard Malini talk about, people want to feel fulfilled in their life in their job. And when I think about the work that Medtronic is doing in this diversity, equity, and inclusion space is really making them feel like they belong here at Medtronic. They can contribute to the human welfare by working on some amazing technology that's saving people's lives day in and day out, and really feel like they're achieving their career goals and being part of a community and a network. For me, I've 
seen the evolution of Medtronic over the course of my career here. And the George Floyd situation and the way that now we talk about it, like we didn't talk about it before, it's giving people that room to be themselves. There's a lot of people that when you look at them immediately, you make certain assumptions about them. How do we eliminate that from the dialogue while we're all trying to help people live a better life? So for me as an employee at Medtronic, it's been great to see the efforts we're making. We're not done. A lot more needs to be done. We're having the right conversations. We're giving it the right visibility. And it makes me all the more proud to think about the work we're doing with our law firm partners, both as a client and a law firm relationship. And I think about the efforts we have underway right now with this Medtronic Preferred Partner Program. We call it lovingly MP3. And a firm like Wilmer Hale, they've been on the journey with us since the get-go back in 2016. And incrementally, we'll continue to make progress. We want to meet the law firms where they're at. We want to help their strategic goals and objectives. And we don't want to force this one-size-fits-all solution because law firms are at different places in the diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. Clients like Medtronic are in different spaces. So we really are excited about the partnership that we have underway with firms like Wilmer Hill. So it's interesting that you focused on not having a one-size-fits-all solution because I think that is critical in approaching these issues. Malini, how have you in your role approached the diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, given that there's so many different stages at what your partner firms are at, as well as within Medtronic, it can be a challenging issue. How have you gone about approaching those issues? So as Ajit said, with our MP3, I think critically for us as just a starting principle and a foundational principle is that we believe it has to be a partnership. I know historically with a lot of clients, they've viewed it as a carrot and a stick. And I don't think that's been completely effective. We've got to be honest about it. And we don't have the panacea, but what we do believe fundamentally is that this has to be done in a more collaborative and partnering spirit. Because quite honestly, our profession has no excuse. We should be leaders in this and we are lagging behind in terms of representation. So what are we going to do to advance the ball and what are we going to do it in a more urgent way? Look, this is not going to be neat, pretty and clean. It's not going to be a hockey stick. I hope it is. And I want to work towards that. But I recognize it's going to be messy. But we've got to have those honest, open conversations. And then we've got to stick to goals and accountability. And by the way, it's a two-way street. We've got to do it on our own end. And as Ajit said, we haven't perfected it at Medtronic. But we have a commitment. And I think it starts with culture and mindset. And then we have accountability at leaders, managers, and employees because it is part of our goals. We have diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of our how goals. And so every single person in the organization has to commit to it. That's at a Medtronic-wide level. I love that you shared the importance of having the ear of the management, because I think that is so critical to ensuring that these efforts are taken seriously across the organization. And I think that's something that Medtronic has done really well. For me, 
personally, just working with Medtronic over the last several years, what I found that's unique about Medtronic from other places is that there really does seem to be a personal responsibility that Medtronic attorneys assume toward these efforts. And I know that for me, that's benefited me personally in, in my own career. And if I could just share one story of that, I recall when I was just a junior associate, I think back in that 2016 time period that Ajit mentioned, and it was before I had ever worked on any Medtronic matters. And Medtronic in-house counsel Rodney Young, whom I had met at an event for Medtronic's partner firms, called me directly on my direct line and asked me to get involved in one of his matters. And it really was the first time that I had a client call me directly and the first time that I had a client advocate for me to work on their matters. And it really just made such a difference for me within the firm, you know, the partners that I was working with and the partners that were working with him. And also it was importantly a catalyst for me to work on more Medtronic matters. So I think the efforts that you all take to make sure that you take that junior associate who, who was me at one point in time and cultivate that person and have a, a sense of ownership and responsibility over that person's career. I think that really is important for people to understand. A credit to Rodney, a credit to you, Brittany, and it maybe gives us a chance to highlight one of the marquee components of our Medtronic Preferred Partner Program is this associate council where we really wanted to create something differentiated and unique that likely wasn't being done across a lot of client firm interactions at the time. We tried to bring together a group of associates from our entire panel of law firms, two to three diverse associates, and take them on a year-long fellowship, for lack of a better word, where they get to experience the Medtronic ecosystem, understand what makes in-house lawyers at Medtronic tick, think about the fulfillment of working for a company that has a patient at the end of everything they're doing, and really help those associates learn about why there might be five in-house lawyers on a call and what the point of each in-house lawyer's role is to not only help that MP3 law firm associate in their work for Medtronic, but importantly, in their work for other clients at their respective law firms. And so this associate counsel program has evolved over the years. And just hearing you share your personal story of Rodney reaching out to you and the catalyst for your career, it's just, it makes it feel worth it. And it's, again, an example of a shared accountability and a shared commitment across client and law firm. I can definitely say that one of the most unique aspects of working with Medtronic was that participation in the Associates Council. What are some of the things that you're particularly focused on in terms of either metrics or benchmarks, things that you'd like to see your law firms accomplish on the diversity front? I do think that you can't shy away from looking at statistics and progress. I think that's just our nature, and it's important to see that representation. For example, Medtronic publishes an annual inclusion and diversity report that tells the world where we are, and I think that holds us accountable. I have to tell you, to me, it shouldn't be this hard because the amount of data that tells you that the more diverse you are, the better you do from a financial performance, a business performance, that diverse organizations, diverse teams perform better. You know, if the fact that it's the right thing to do doesn't convince you, 
How does that not convince people? It shouldn't be this hard, but we are going to have to continue to kind of look at those statistics and report outs on how people are doing in terms of their representation, both on gender as well as race and ethnicity. I mean, I looked at the numbers right before, okay, admittedly it's 2017 numbers that I found, but equity partnership for women is still at 19%. 19%, it's been 19% since well before I became a lawyer. I mean, how can we hover around that as a profession? It's outrageous. We've got to hold ourselves accountable and part of that holding ourselves accountable is, as I mentioned, right, the place where you can most acutely see it is in the work and how we staff our teams. We want the best people. I, I want it to be clear, right? I always worry, and especially as a minority woman, you're not taking underqualified people. We are people who have been overlooked. We are highly qualified and we've been overlooked because when people think of lawyer, when they think of leader, it's not inclusive often of gender. It's not inclusive of race or ethnicity. It's not inclusive, by the way, of diversity of thought often. It's not inclusive of style, depending on the institution. And so I want to be clear, right? We've been overlooked. And that's what we're challenging. So we are going to hold ourselves accountable and others accountable, and the only way you can do it is through demonstrations of progress through metrics and measures. And the best metric and measure is on your representation statistics, right? And your commitments. And it's a conversation because there are reasons why. Because I'll be honest that there are people who leave our firms to come to work for us. And when it's someone that they've invested in, right, a diverse woman associate, a diverse male associate, a woman associate or partner, you know, we're impacting them. So there's got to be a conversation. And that's why this partnership between us and our firms is so critical. But the talent pool is so big that the movement of one person should not impact you that much. You should celebrate that movement. You shouldn't bemoan it because it impacts your statistics, right? I mean, I read during International Women's Day that we won't see gender equity in my lifetime. That's so disappointing to me. I mean, we should be there. And then when you think about race and ethnicity and representation, we're even further behind. We can do better than this. We must do better than this. Have you seen the value of having diverse teams working specifically on Medtronic's legal matters, and how has that manifested itself? Definitely, we see it in our matters. I might actually go back a little bit before to my time at Bayer, because you know, while I was at Bayer, I tried a number of cases in a number of different jurisdictions, and that's where it's like immediately impactful. When you are trying cases to diverse juries, You've got to make sure you have a diverse team, both in the two or three people who are standing up and speaking on behalf of the company, but also in the entire team that's representing you. We've got to reflect the very population which we serve, right? Because these are our patients, our customers, but also who are going to judge us and judge our behavior and judge our conduct in these cases. And so 
it was never a question for me that we needed to have that representation. And you saw it in the results. I feel strongly that the quality was what was driving and the representation was driving our outcomes. And I think that's true here. I haven't seen it in that quite clearly in terms of the trials, but where you do see it too is with judges. The judiciary at least made some positive strides for a period in terms of increasing representation of women you know, certainly under the Obama administration in terms of race and ethnic diversity as well. And when you have diverse judges, you've got to make sure you're reflecting and demonstrating in terms of the diversity of the team. And with judges, it's not just in terms of gender and race, it's also in terms of generation. They want to see young people given opportunity. So that's, that's another consideration that we have to think about when we think about our matters and who we give stand-up roles to and how we divvy up the work, creating opportunity. If I can turn back to Ajit, I know we talked a little bit about how the legal career field still has quite a ways to go on the diversity efforts. Are there particular areas that you found or you believe looking forward are going to be very difficult or challenging to address? I really think we need to continue that intentionality around the pipeline. Who are we getting into those classes? Who are we even encouraging to go to law school? Because the expertise, the skill set, it's out there. It's just some groups of people, some particular folks just haven't had the chance to even take a prep class for LSAT, even to know, you know, I went to law school. I didn't have any lawyers in my family coming from an Indian American family. There were plenty of doctors, but I didn't know what the word OCI stood for when I started in law school, right? And there were some people that had their whole law school journey mapped out. How can we help those folks that don't have access to those materials or information build it. And I was just talking to a lawyer the other day who goes out there, talks to high school students, maybe in different areas where they're not really being set up for success in the legal profession or the medical profession or the science profession. That's where I think we need to continue the efforts. We're going to keep the efforts going with associates, with making sure we have the leadership representation where we want it to get to. But a big space of opportunity is to develop that pipeline. So then we can have firms like Wilmer Hale come forward with, here are three new associates to include in Medtronic Associate Council Class of 2025 that are diverse, that will bring that thinking we need, both as a client and as a profession. So I wholeheartedly support everything that Ajit has said, and we should invest and continue to build that pipeline. But I got to tell you, the pipeline exists. It has existed. And it, if you really look at the statistics, and I look at the McKinsey stats, I was looking at it on law firms, and if you look at it at corporations, you look at entry classes for law firms, they actually are decently diverse. Certainly on gender, they're almost 50-50. They have representation in terms of people of color. But at every level, they drop off. And that's not dissimilar from what happens at a corporation, right? And what we call is it's the broken rung problem. It's because the people making the decisions on who gets the opportunity, 
on the opportunity for promotion, on the opportunity for the better assignments in a law firm, on the really good files. Those people are making the choices where ducks are picking ducks. If you look at that drop-off, and then if you consistently have that drop-off, and then you're making the decision on equity partnership, then you go pipeline. Now, the pipeline existed. You just didn't invest in the pipeline. I think we hide behind that. And I think the reality is, and what law firms need to do, what corporations are doing and need to do, is look at what we call the broken rung. And the broken rung starts right at the first time someone in a position of power is making a decision on who gets the opportunity. For us, it's a promotion from individual contributor to manager. In a law firm, it's more subtle than that, right? Because you really go from associate maybe to non-equity partner to an equity partner. There may be a council decision somewhere in there. But where are those points within your time as an associate that decisions are being made that are actually limiting opportunity. That's what you really need to dig into because if you look at your classes, at who's coming in at that first year associate level, certainly your summer classes, and then look at who's left when you're making that decision and non-equity partner, you got to ask yourself what happened and you got to look in the mirror. That's, to me, where the real hard work is, and it is not going to be easy because it first requires looking in the mirror. It requires saying the problem is us, and I'm not pretending I'm not part of that. I make decisions, but it's digging deep and understanding and challenging yourself on the decisions you're making. So we're making a real commitment to diverse slates, diverse interview teams right? It's the kinds of things that de-bias the process. So in distributing work in a law firm, how do you de-bias the process? Malani, thinking about and recognizing all of the hard work that you just mentioned that is going to be involved and the challenges to face on this front, what do you see as the ultimate long-term goals for Medtronic on the diversity, equity, and inclusion front? I think the long-term goal is that it's very much just part of our fabric. You can look at Medtronic and you can say that it reflects the population that we serve our customers. It reflects and looks like the places that we live and work. We're a global company in over 150 countries. We've got to reflect that. And so that representation And I think to me, it is that definition of leadership that is inclusive. When you think of a manager, you don't automatically think of a white man, but it's got to be embedded as part of our fabric, right? And it's got to be part of the institution. I think we're working towards that. Where we recognize what's common about us, but also respect our differences and where all employees, I mean, it really goes to our mission, feel that their full worth is recognized. Thank you so much, Malini, and thank you, Ajit. Thank you both for joining us today. I think this was a really insightful conversation and will help to further advance the efforts on the law firm side, as well as hopefully 
other businesses can think about using some of these methods as a model. So thank you so much for sharing them with us. It was a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you everyone for this moving and fascinating conversation on how the legal field can do more to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's it for this episode of In the Public Interest. In fact, this is our last official episode of season one. But John and I will be back soon with a look back at some highlights from our first season, and we hope you'll join us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And share us with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.